are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. You might remember that in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, you get this picture of Jesus' ministry. It's pretty impressive. It says that Jesus came teaching in the synagogues. So we know he was teaching about the kingdom of God coming to earth and that he was proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And then it says that he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. And so you see this threefold ministry that Jesus came with. He's, he's teaching and he's, and he's preaching and he's healing. So over the years, it's been, I think, good for us to remember our heritage here at Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. 113 years ago, that's a while ago, C.B. Jernigan came to this community that was only a grove at the time, purchased a large plot of land under the direction of the church with the intention of planting a district of churches. And the reason it was appealing was because what is now 39th Expressway was the interurban rail that ran from downtown Oklahoma City to El Reno. And so you could, you could catch a train. And so they began to clear land and began to build a church. Shortly after that, the Oklahoma Holiness College was built, which is now, after several name changes over the years, Southern Nazarene University. And, and then the Oklahoma Orphanage was established by Maddie Mallory, which later became a youth convalescent center, which is today the Bethany Children's Center. And so in those three entities, we are still trying to teach, we're still trying to preach, and we're still trying to heal. And so the mission of Southern Nazarene University is to make Christ-like disciples through higher education. The mission of the Bethany Children's Center is to offer quality care to the children they serve, health care to the children they serve. And the mission of our church is to not only become more like Jesus, but to help others come to know him. We understand that we are called to proclaim, to preach this good news about Jesus. So I think it begs the question, like the other two institutions often do, how are we doing? How are we doing as, as a church with this, with this calling on our lives to preach this gospel, to proclaim to other people this good news about Jesus? We've talked a lot about the kingdom of God over the last several weeks, to talk to people about this upside down kind of world. This kingdom that's not of this world that you're invited to be a citizen of. This good news that you can be made right in your relationship with God because of what Jesus has done for us and given his life as a ransom on the cross. How, how, are, how are we doing? When, when I have conversations with folks about this, sometimes the conversation goes to this place and understandably so. It's hard it's, it's, it's difficult. These United States of Americans are not as, um, 
as open to hearing about Jesus as maybe they once were years ago. Um, it, it, it's difficult. The, the climate has shifted. It's hard. I don't know that people want to hear what the church has to say. And so while I get it, I understand that. I, I was reminded of something significant this week. So this past Monday and Tuesday, Bethany First Church partnered with Southern Nazarene University to help them host an annual pastor's forum. So from the states of Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas, and Oklahoma, we had 540 register for this event. And our goal was to help train, uh, equip, inspire pastors. And, and it was a great few days. On Tuesday afternoon, sitting in this room, I was right over here, Ed Stetzer spoke. And here's what Ed said. He said, the movement, rather the moment, rather the moment we are in does not pause the mission we are on. In other words, he was saying, I, I know it's become more difficult. I know we're in a different climate as a society, but the moment we're in, as difficult as it may be, it does not pause the mission that we're on. By education, Ed is a missiologist, and he said, I would describe America today in what he would call a um, culture convulsion. And he said, the bad news is, I don't think it's over. I think we got a few more years of this. Regardless of the fact that we might be in a culture convulsion, the moment we are in does not pause the mission that we're on. I have a dream. I have a dream that Bethany First Church over these next years, we'll see many, many people come to know Jesus. I believe that the gospel has the power to transform the life of a human being. I have a dream that you and I will become very invitational in our lifestyle. I, I, I like the first set of amens better than I like that set. I do. I, I, I dream that you and I'll just be, hey, open arms, you know, come, be a part. I want you to know Jesus like I know Jesus. That's my prayer. That's my dream. And, and what I want to say to you today from these letters of Timothy that we've been studying is simply this, that the mission of the church is worth fighting for. So we're in this series called Fight, Right? Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. There's some things that are worth fighting for, Timothy. Well, today I want to tell you that the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is worth fighting for. We can't just cross our arms and say, it's just too hard. I'm quitting. <laughs> I'm giving up. It's just too difficult. No, no, no. There's some things in life that are worth fighting for. And the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is one of those things that's worth fighting for. So let me go with you to... To 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to begin with verse 1, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I, I know that we're just jumping around a little bit in these two letters through the series, and um, all I have to say about that is just, that's the way it is, yeah? So just come with me. Okay, so here we go. I urge you then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving 
be made for all people. What do you think he's saying there? You guys got to pray. You got to pray for everybody. For kings and all those in authority. We don't relate well to the title of king today. Uh, we, don't, we don't really relate to it because we don't experience that in our culture. How, however, I do know that a few weeks ago, Prince Charles was named king of um, Great Britain. What? The United Kingdom. I couldn't come up with it. Not a king like Paul is thinking about kings. I think in our translation, it would be for presidents and prime ministers. So is that the way you roll? You pray for presidents and prime ministers, people in authority? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Why do you want me to pray for kings and those in authority, presidents and prime ministers, so that you can live peaceful and quiet lives? But he doesn't stop there. In all godliness and holiness, there's a progression here. And, and if you don't feel like you're picking it up, I'll, I'll, I'll just put it on the screen for you in a minute, okay? This is good when you do this. It pleases God, our Savior. By the way, He's our Savior. Our president is not. Caesar was not in their day who wants all people to be saved. Listen to that. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. What does God want for the world? He wants everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind. That man is Christ Jesus. What qualifies him? Well, because he gave himself as a ransom for all people that God wants to be saved. This has now been witnessed at the proper time, and for this purpose, I was appointed herald. A herald is one who proclaims news, and an apostle, one who is sent out to share news. I am telling the truth, I'm not lying, and true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles, I'm not only here for the Jews, hey, I'm here for everybody, people who don't think like me. Yeah. This, Paul says, is his calling what you're calling. Last week, I stood here with you on Sunday morning and I introduced you to Musa and Prudence Kanini, who were both raised in the small African country that we are so familiar with, Eswatini, formerly known as Swaziland, but now serve as missionaries in the Horn of Africa. And so after the first service was over, I, I asked Musa, I had asked them in advance to go with me to my, to my class my group that I lead on Sunday morning. I, I lead a group of people who are somewhere between like 22 and, and 29. I get to teach that group and, uh, and I love it. It's one of the most life-giving things I've done in a long time. And uh, Dan, one of our pastors, has trusted me with that and I'm trying not to mess it up. And unashamedly, I would say, if you're in that age group or nearby and you would love to be a part of that, I would love to, I would love to walk this journey with you. I would love for you to be a part of that group. Not everybody gets to plug their group, do they? And that, that's unfair, I know. But again, that's the way it is. That's the way some things are. They just, it's just unfair. And, and so they came, and Musa stood and kind of did a Q&A with me. And he says, you know, 
where I'm a missionary, we have many people in what we call creative access countries, places where it's illegal. Are you, are you in danger of great persecution for sharing your faith about Jesus? And he says, we brought a lot of those people in to try to inspire them, to try to encourage them, to better equip them. People who are serving as missionaries in those creative places, they go in as maybe a, a common laborer, but they're really there to preach the gospel. And he says, those men stood, and many of them would take off their shirts, and I'm going to leave mine on, and they would show us gun wounds, bullet wounds, knife wounds where they've been stabbed. They would drop their shirts and turn and show us the stripes across their back where they had been whipped. And Musa said, I could not conceive the resolve in their hearts to go back and continue to share the gospel. If that was your story, if you live in a country where there were knocks on the doors late at night where secret police were arresting Christians, Do you think you would think more often to pray for presidents and prime ministers? Because that was the story of the people who Paul was writing to. Jews who had suffered under unjust rulers. And they were praying for them. God, I'm sure there were times they were praying they would be overthrown. Anybody ever prayed that a leader would be overthrown? Over the years. So they're praying. But God's timing is not our timing. And so Paul talks in first and second Timothy. Here's how we live in this season. And he talks a lot about Christian conduct. So he uses language like godly, godliness. He talks about holy and holiness. He talks about um, righteous and righteousness. He talks about having a pure heart. He talks about love over and over again in these two letters. In fact, what I've done is I've pulled out uh, a few verses, and I'm going to read a little bit of scripture to you because I want you to get the tone for how Paul says a Christian functions in society, okay? So here we go. Christian conduct. He talks beginning with church leaders. You should be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, sincere. He keeps going. Not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not pursuing dishonest gain, worthy of respect, good reputation with outsiders. This is the kind of leader I want Bethany First Church to have. This is the leader I want to be. He goes on. He talks to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers. 
This is the life, Timothy, I want you to live. Be an example in your speech. Be an example in your conduct, the way you behave. Be an example in the way that you love. Be an example in your faith. Be an example in purity. Live a pure life. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. What you say you believe and how you live your life, they should have something in common with each other. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love, pursue peace, Timothy. And this is kind of a closing verse, but it sums up what he's trying to do in the letter, okay? Although I hope to come to you soon, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves. You get the tone. You see what's going on. This is is the heart of Paul. Let's talk about pressure. Under pressure. We don't always fare as well. Annette and I are doing great in our relationship. We feel so in love, it's ridiculous. Things are just going wonderful and beautiful, but all of a sudden we get pressure. And under pressure, I say something a little short to Annette. She says, it's okay. I get it. You're stressed. You're dealing with your kids. Love my kids. But I feel pressure. I feel stress. I don't fare as well when I'm under pressure sometimes. So here's the deal. We pray for kings and those in authority that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in godliness and holiness when we are not living under that pressure of persecution we tend to fare a little better in the way we represent God in the church does it make sense to you? I understand the church grows under persecution we Christians aren't always as shiny when we're being persecuted under pressure. And he says, when you are living a peaceful and quiet life, it allows you to live in godliness and holiness. It, it's, not, it's not saying, God, just, just give me a peaceful, quiet society to live in who thinks like me until I get to heaven. Get me out of this place, God. But until I get out of here, would you just give me a peaceful and quiet place that thinks like I do? No, no, no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to have a peaceful and quiet life so that you can show people your godliness and your holiness that they will see something different in you. I love these words, but do I don't move Here's what he says. He says, a holy life will produce the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They only shine. All right, Rick, I'm ready to fight for the church. Let's fight, right? Almost fell, and you've been thinking I would for years. How do you fight for the church? How do you fight for the mission of the church? How do you fight for the reputation of the church? You live a godly and holy life. It's our greatest defense. We stop doing stupid things. We stop saying stupid things.
We live out the last sermon series, poor in spirit, meek, merciful, peacemakers. That's how you fight for the church. I have to keep saying it. One of the reasons we have this reputation among some is because we do and say really bad things. We're going to be judged for it. I was with a a young man the other day who was talking about his call to ministry. And um, I said to him, you know, I heard a a guy once say to his son, his son said, Dad, I, I I don't feel called to ministry. Can you volunteer? And, and his dad said, I think we need both. So I said to him, are you, are you called or, or do you see yourself volunteering? And this very young man, he said to me, he said, I, I see myself being in ministry for the rest of my life, being a pastor. I feel called. Well, God doesn't only call people to ministry. He calls us to a lot of things. Do you know what your calling is? I I hate it that in church world we tend to talk about calling in terms of pastors only. I mean, God, God called the lady one day sitting right there to start a healthcare clinic. My goodness, God calls us to lots of things. Do, do, do you know your calling? And, and let me press a little further and say, are you called to share your faith with others? The young man knew his calling. Paul says, I know my calling. Remember, I read it to you a moment ago. A herald, an apostle, one to go shout the good news, one being sent out to tell others. I know what I'm called to do, he says, to Jews and Gentiles. And then he goes on to add to this, because God wants everybody to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so this is the progression I was talking to you about earlier. If we can somehow have a peaceful society, that's why we pray for presidents and prime ministers. And, and if maybe in all of that, we do better at living out godly and holiness, you and I, we, 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 we shine a little brighter and people see the difference in our lives, then maybe then it creates a climate and an environment where the gospel is shared. People say something different about these people. I want what they've got. And the gospel becomes something that we can share easily. That's that's where this whole conversation is going. And I'll just say it again, but let me give you the words. God wants all people to be saved and he wants us to help. I don't know of another way to say it. There's only one God, Paul says, one mediator. Jesus earned the right to be the mediator. He gave his life as a ransom. Do you understand? We're talking about some really good news here. There is a way. There is a way to be right with God. There is a way to be forgiven of sin. There is a way to come to know Jesus. There is a way to get to heaven 
God has provided it because he loves us so much by giving his son Jesus to take upon himself our sin. This is what we have to share. So let me, let me wrap up with this. Um, I, I don't know. Do you, do, do you know this guy? He died when he was 24 in 20, 2001. His name is Wells Crowther. And um, Wells, uh, when he was six years old, was given a red bandana by his father. And um, somehow it created a bond between the two of them, and he always carried a red bandana from age six. He had one in his back pocket almost all the time. Even when he played uh, lacrosse at the University of Boston, he had a red bandana on his head under his helmet. Kind of cool. The other significant thing to say to you about him was that when he was 16, he joined the Junior Hook and Ladder Company just north of Manhattan where he lived in New York. He was a volunteer firefighter. And his last conversation with his dad, he said, I can't sit behind this computer screen any longer as an equities trader in a 104th floor of the South Tower at the World Trade Center. Dad, I want to be a firefighter. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. I want to I want to be a first responder. And so on September the 11th, 2001, when a plane flew into the North Tower, the World Trade Center, Wells on the fourth floor of the South Tower picked up the phone and he called his mother and he said, Mom, I want you to know that I'm okay. I'm all right. And then as you know, a plane hits the 70th and 80th floors of the South Tower. And Wells goes down to the 78th floor sky lobby. And there are many people who are in trouble. They are injured. They're confused. They see no hope, no way out. And suddenly out of the smoke and the darkness appears a 24-year-old man in a red bandana around his head covering his nose and his mouth to help with smoke inhalation. He very calmly says to them, I want everyone to listen to me. If you can walk, I want you to stand now. If you can help someone else, I want you to do so. Follow me. I'm going to get you out of here. And Wells takes them down stairway A, the only one that was accessible at that moment in that tower from that floor. And he takes them down to the 61st floor where other firefighters meet them, get them to the 44th floor, and they go down an elevator and they get to safety. Wells, however, doesn't get on the elevator. He goes back up. And he gets another group. If you can walk, I want you to stand now. If you can help others do so, he picks up a woman and puts her on his back. And he takes that group down. When he gets them to the elevators, he does not go down with them. He goes back again. And he goes back for a third time. They believe he saved 18 lives that day. His mom and dad were reading an article. Months later, his body was found many weeks after the bombing in the rubble. They knew nothing except that his body had been recovered. But they read an article about this mysterious man with a red bandana. And they went to the survivors with his picture and said, was it him? 
and the survivor said it was him. What, what a gift that the parents got to know what happened. It's heroism, it's putting others first, it's valuing others above yourself. It's humanity at its best. Is that, is that what all of this is about? Is that what God is asking of us? Literally snatch people from the burning so they can be saved? And so I would say to you, if that's what it is about, then our narrative has to change as a church. And our narrative has to change from, it's hard. It's difficult to share the gospel. The world doesn't want to hear what the church has to say right now. It has to change from that to there is so much at stake. There is so much at risk. There is so much potential of being lost. We have to take the gospel. We have to live with open arms. We have to share our faith with others. There is too much on the line. Lives are on the line. Souls are at stake. Amen. So Nick's going to share a song with us that talks about what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And so I'm going to ask you to open your heart and just breathe a prayer that says, God, I'm, I'm all heart. I'm all ears. I'm here to listen to what you have to say to me in these moments. Lord, that's what we ask in these moments. Open our hearts, our minds, our ears to what you have to say. Speak to us. Let it be a time of soul searching. Let it be a time, Lord, to be in your presence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.